Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. My name is Greg Hall, and I'm joined by a very special guest from Jukebox the Ghost and Narc Twain, Tommy Siegel. Tommy, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we're going to jump right into the question. We have a lot to cover on today's uh, special bonus episode, but before we even talk about the music, before we talk about Jukebox or Narc Twain or maybe something else you have down the pipeline... The listeners that maybe don't know Jukebox or Narc Twain or yourself, tell us something about yourself that we don't know, personally, professionally, musically, whatever that might be. Um, yeah, ooh. I mean, there's, there, there, I have, I'm a man of many mysteries. Uh, and when I say many, I mean, uh, I can't think of any. But uh, I can't think of, so my alternate career, which never really came to fruition because jukebox ago started touring was that um i used to work for the i was an i was a park ranger for the national park service mm. uh for a few years um and this was like during college and right out of college but uh it was it was a it was a gig where i was a full national park ranger but i was working at the chesapeake and ohio canal in dc um, which is a 180 mile long bike path that's technically a national park um, right along the Potomac. But they have um, these canal boats that operate on the old canal, uh, and there's just just I, well, it's just one of them really. But uh, it uh, it was pulled by mules, and it was a historic recreation of an 1800s canal boat, and that's what I did. So I would. You know, uh, sometimes I would uh, hang out with the mules and pull the boat, and sometimes I would give tours in 1800s clothes and play the banjo, um, and sometimes I would steer the boat. But it was uh, that was my other gig, and uh, you know, as much as I love Jukebox the Ghost, it was really hard to leave. It was a fun job. I believe it. That sounds. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Uh, you know, a lot of folks would say at the end of their interview, hey, for all the aspiring musicians out there, what kind of advice do you have? I'm flipping it around. For all the aspiring park rangers we have that listen to this show, what is some advice you would give them? Like, you know, honestly, how did you uh, how did you get into that gig? To become a park ranger? Yeah. Well, the thing you have to know about the park service is they're uh, totally inept and not up on technology. So, or at least they weren't, you know, when I when I was working for them. So I got the job because I saw a flyer. Um, that was on the street in Georgetown. Hmm. And it didn't even say park rangers wanted. It said, um, you know, hiring for historical education job. And I was like, okay. And, <laughs> and so I and so I called and they were like, yeah, this is a National Park Service job. And, you know, you'll be a GS5 or, you know, whatever my government service ranking was. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, I have, I guess the the short answer is I have absolutely no idea how you get into the park service because I just grabbed a phone number from a flyer. That's really good though. <laughs> hey, listen, we've we've all seen those random jobs on the flyer and and picked up the phone. But what about did you do you watch or did you watch Parks and Rec? You know, I've I've only seen a handful of episodes. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not super well acquainted. I know the characters. Okay, I would be wondering if there would be if if the park ranger job had potential to have a show like a spinoff of parks and rec like national parks and rec because that show is is great i mean we are a nerdy podcast we talk about movies music television and and on top of video games and stuff so we've had quite a few conversations on this show about parks and rec but 
That's a that's interesting. So I mean, hey, listen, that is definitely something nobody knew. But now when we switch it over to music, maybe something a lot of fans are more familiar with. What was your personal introduction to music? AKA, you know, what age did you start playing, and kind of what bands helped shape your personal sound that you were going for at that age? I mean, I think I, I think I got into music the same way. I bet most people that are you know my age or you know or around. Um, and in America got into music it's like you know you turn 13 you you're like listening to rock music and you're like you know I want to impress girls too uh <laughs> so yeah when I was like 13 I asked for a guitar for my bar mitzvah I think um and yeah, yeah I was just you know got a chord book along with it the first day I had a guitar learned a few chords and I remember the first day writing a song um, just with the, the three chords I knew. And so for me, guitar has, you know, always been a songwriting vehicle. Um, and yeah, it was only, I mean, it was like six months later, I started a, I started a band with some friends and had a high school band that put out a couple studio records and we even did a live album. And then when I got to college, um, I put up a flyer in the music department and Ben and Jesse happened to see it, and I didn't know them, but they, they gave me a call, um, and I'm dating myself here, but they called me on my landline. Um, <laughs> and then we, because uh, I did not have a cell phone at that point, and then, uh, yeah, we, we had one practice in their buddy's living room, and yeah, been, been the same band ever since. That was 2004. Now, did Ben and Jesse know each other as well, or was this three random happenstances, and you guys, you guys all kind of met at, at once? So they had already been playing together. Their freshman year, they started. So this, I met them my the first week of my sophomore year. Um, they they had already been playing together their freshman year with another guitarist who left the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically, there's like a there's there's a um, alternate universe somewhere where I am not the guitarist of Jukebox the Ghost. <laughs> um, but yeah, he left school. Uh, lucky for me and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was looking to start my own band and I actually uh, recruited a bunch of people um, and had my own band do a practice. But they already had a good thing going and I was like, these guys are good. And th- when I was playing with the people who were playing my songs, I was like, this is pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, I, I, went with, uh, I went with Ben and Jesse. Now your name, was, um, your name was not always Jukebox the Ghost though. It was not. So when we started, our name was the Sunday Mail. Um, which they named before I joined. And, and to be honest, I remember when I heard their band name, I was like, I don't like that band name. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Um, it, yeah, and they didn't, but they didn't like it either at that point. Oh, perfect. Because um, it's, it's sort of a bad joke, right? It's like, uh, oh, I get it, because the mail doesn't come on Sundays, you know? Mm. Um, and also, every time any local press would write about us, those first few years when we were still the Sunday Mail, they would either say, say, the Sunday mail delivers or the Sunday mail fails to deliver. Ugh, um, it's got to get tired. We got, we got tired of that. Yeah, that has to be tiring. So you changed yeah. your name. So you ended up changing your name, Jukebox the Ghost. Uh, did you have any, well, I guess maybe this is too, you don't have to answer this, but was there any other things that you can remember that were thrown around that weren't Jukebox the Ghost that were like cutting room floor band names? Um, well, I remember a few of the ideas floating around. I thought that, that jukebox was a fun word sure. and I was trying to figure it. That was sort of my contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, ben. You, wait, wait. That's 33% of the name. That's a pretty big... And one of the words is the. So you got a pretty good contribution there. I got, I got a solid one. That's a um, solid one. It's the longest word. Ben really wanted ghosts um, in there. He, had, he There was an excerpt from a Nabokov book, um, Penin, that he wanted to reference where it talked about that all of our destinies are controlled not by not by one god but by a democracy of ghosts um and he really liked that image so we actually the the name that he wanted initially was a a democracy of ghosts um but we all agreed it was a little wordy yeah can you Um, imagine that when you're going to tell your friends who you're going to see at night the bill yeah a democracy of ghosts (laughs) yeah no it's a bit academic um but yeah, and Jesse wanted us to be like a the blanks kind of band. You know, he wanted to be like the jukeboxes or like the ghosts. Or well, he kind of has that nail though in his side project. So he does, which he is does. awesome. So, and that's Jesse with Jesse Dillon and the Scaredy Cats. Yes, of which uh, I became a recent member uh, a month ago. We oh, that's did, I did a show with him. Uh, I was playing guitar, um, but. Yeah, so we we ended up just kind of sandwiching the whole thing together and calling it Jukebox the Ghost. And we actually, we had a little bit of a following at that point. Not like enough to get more than 30 people to a gig, but um, a little bit of a following. And uh, we were living together at that point. I remember we got a letter put under our door by someone um, just saying that this whole anonymous letter about how changing our band name was a terrible idea and the jukebox the ghost was a terrible band name and the sunday mail was a great band name and had this whole whole this whole breakdown i wish i still had it it was pretty funny that would be great to see but they were they were really serious i mean they thought we were making a huge mistake one of the best things about jukebox the ghost is the t-shirt ideas that can come to mind and i have on out of all the jukebox I guess merch that I have my first and favorite is the Royal blue with just a picture, the hand drawing that I'm sure you did of a jukebox and then the word the, and then the picture of the band logo of the ghost and people that don't know your band. I remember when I first got the job where I'm at now on Fridays was dress down day and I would go in with that t-shirt on and I would have people guess what the band was and they would always get jukebox. They would say jukebox. The alien was the most common uh, <laughs> that people would guess jukebox the alien i don't i don't get it can you it's not the name so you're wrong number one number two no you try to figure out what would what jukebox the alien mean so jukebox the ghost i think that is one of the, the first of all coolest shirts but that is all hand drawn by you yeah yeah i generally do our t-shirts there's, there's whenever it, if it looks super professional i did not do it but if it looks <laughs> kind of hand drawn then i then i did it so you do doodles on the side we're going to get into that a little bit later. I want to stick to the early days of Jukebox the Ghost for one or two more times or one or two more questions is, do you remember yeah, yeah. Do you remember your first show as Jukebox the Ghost? Not necessarily as the Sunday Mail or as a, uh, you know, as a band, but as Jukebox the Ghost with the new name. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember both. But um, yeah, uh, I remember our first show as Jukebox the Ghost was at a venue in D.C. called The Red and the Black. Um, we had just come back from... We'd all done a semester abroad, and so we hadn't done a show in, like, probably nine months or more. Um, yeah, we booked the show, and there was pretty much nobody there. It was a brand-new club and in a part of town that people didn't want to go to yet. Um, yeah, and, and it, we definitely weren't playing what we, you know, what people would think we would play, I think, because it was before we 
recorded our first record. Mm-hmm. Which was um, in 2008. So this was pre-2008. Yeah, so we were playing all sorts of stuff that nobody's, thank God, ever heard. Um, <laughs> uh, but, well, some of it. I mean, like, I remember at that point we were playing, we Hold It In was a brand new song at that point. Um, we were definitely playing Static and Beady Eyes on the Horizon. Uh, maybe Under My Skin, but I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, we hadn't totally, what became Let Live Like Us, we kind of, we basically worked on together after we changed the band name. So from there, right, I, you know, you fast forward four years from the time at least Let Live and Let Ghost came out in 2008. Um, I am... I'm in Philadelphia. We're Philadelphia-based podcast where it's my myself. My co-host was actually there with me that night. So the two of us, um, Sam and I, we've been friends for so long. We go out to the TLA for a show to go see, to go see Motion City. You guys are the opening act. Um, and we had never heard of you at that point. So we see you absolutely fall in love from there. It was fantastic. But you got to open for Motion City. On top of other bands you guys have kind of toured with or opened for, what are some of your favorite bands or artists that you've toured with? Uh, Motion City would definitely be up there. I mean, those guys are just like the most fun, sweet nerds um, yeah. imaginable. I mean, uh, I, I I think I don't know if their fan base knows how nerdy most of them are. I would guess they do. They seem to kind of like be pretty open about it. But I remember like backstage, they were just like playing multiplayer games, like right up until when they had to go on stage. <laughs> <laughs> They sing about well, they're, they're Zelda. Like real, they're like the really nerdy kind. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, like the kind I don't even know what they were called. They have um, songs about the Legend of Zelda and Will and Grace and all that. So, I mean, yeah, I think we get a hint of it through Justin's, yeah, through Justin's yeah. lyrics. Totally. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other ones. I mean, um, Guster was a really fun one. That's cool. Um, they, we've heard them a couple of times. They've become real good buds of ours. Um, Bare Naked Ladies are like some of the nicest guys in the world. Um, we've done some touring with them. Uh, let's see, Ben Folds tour was great. We didn't get to hang with him that much, uh, but the, uh, his audiences were just like so ready to hear piano that it was just like the easiest gig, mm. easiest sell for us. Um, cause you know, it's, it, it's funny, like it depends on the crowd. We've definitely played for crowds before that don't seem to care that Ben is a great piano player. Um, you know, maybe a, more like rock and roll kind of drunk crowds like are just sort of you know they they want they want you to rock but they're not like they don't want to hear scales and stuff Mm -hmm. um but when we've ben folds crowds are like really excited they're they're big piano dorks and so and ben is just a a thornwell um it's just i mean he's really he's an insanely overqualified piano player for the kind of music we make so um that's always that was always a really fun sell to do touring with them. Anybody who can play two pianos at once live on stage gets my vote. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of respect for what you guys do up on stage too. And you know, I've, and just, I guess on a side note too, and maybe you can elaborate if you feel like you need to is I remember seeing you right for the, for the first time after the most recent, the self-titled came out, um, seeing the one live. Now I've only seen that song once live, but you picked up a bass and my, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't prepared for it, Tommy. And so uh, I'm used to the red and black guitar that everybody sees you play with on all your shows. And you guys tour a ton, right? You get to a lot. You're a heavy tour band. Um, my goodness. So what, I guess, 
Uh, what uh, what inspired you to have to? I mean, I guess you played the bass on the one for the, in the record, or I'm sorry, in the studio. I would assume. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so the last record is the self-titled record. It's kind of the first record we've done where instead of you know on the other records, I think on everything under the sun and safe travels, there's bass on the records too, like actual bass. Right. Um, but it wasn't, we was kind of just there for sonic reasons. It wasn't like drawing any attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the, on the self-titled record, the bass is kind of becomes one of the lead instruments. Yep. Um, but you know, we're a three piece, so we, you know, can't, uh, a lot of, t- a lot of songs these days, I have to decide whether the bass or the guitar is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that depends by the song for the one, the guitar part is like, barely existent so it made more sense to pick up the bass but you know same for girl yep so i play i play bass on girl and when the nights get long and sound of broken heart and then the new record has a few bass songs too i think and it's cool um, we haven't arranged it yet but it's um, hey listen we'll it's a, it out. it's a nice uh if it's still the same bass that i remember i remember it was like a very small compressed like that paul mccartney style bass yeah i'm really into that kind of muted hoffner sort of sound mm-hmm. um for jukebox um, I, I actually, there, there's a couple tunes in the new record that are kind of like big fuzz bass sort of songs, but I don't know if we're going to end up using a keyboard to get that sound or whether I'm going to play it. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about that again in a little bit too, is, is what kind of the future holds for jukebox. But again, you go, you're on tour a lot. You're in a van a lot. We mentioned earlier, you have a hobby. Um, it was doodling, uh, kind of, can you talk about that? Like where did you even get that artistic sense or that need to maybe go on Twitter and say, Hey, what do you guys want me to draw? Yeah, so um, uh, years ago, I mean, I well, first, I guess first of all, like um, before I got into music, I was like a total cartoon obsessive. I, I, I think everyone, my parents and teachers and everyone assumed I was going to be a cartoonist because that's that's all I did. Um, and made comic books and sold them at school and uh, did comics was the school paper and the local teen paper and all that kind of stuff uh and then when music i when i got more interested in music that kind of fell by the wayside but when we were um in the van board one time i started taking requests from people in the van like so I, ben was like you know can you draw i, th- I think i the first van doodle i think i ever did was ben asked me to draw a shrimp dancing on the belly of a goat uh and so i drew it and then everyone else started requesting them and then and then we had just started i think having a twitter account and so we asked twitter got requests started tweeting them out and actually i didn't i didn't the band the band didn't have an instagram at that point so i think we were just tweeting links to ben's instagram because he had he had an iphone at that time uh so we were just putting all the doodles on Ben's Instagram and linking them on Twitter, and that was that was kind of how it started. That's really good. I re- I remember probably 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there. I was lucky enough that you did one of mine. It was a light bulb with a good idea, so you drew a light bulb with a candle above its head. It was oh yeah, it was priceless. Uh, and oh, then you, funny, and then, yeah, and then you got to retweet that. God, so. That was a long that was a long time ago. Now it, it was it was a, a, well over three years ago, maybe four years ago at this point. So wow. Uh, and yeah, it was the background on my phone for what 
th- two, three years probably until I got That's engaged. Awesome. Yeah, it, that one never, uh, that one never went away. So I appreciate. Honored, honored my friend. Well, honored. so you compiled a lot of these into a book that you can now find on Amazon. Yes, um, yeah. So I made like a little zine book kind of a thing um, from the first like few years of Van Doodles. Um, but I've got a ton now, and I, I'm actually working on a longer book. Um, it's kind of going to be a thing for hopefully next year, but maybe the year after that. Um, but slowly, slowly coming together. But um, the next, the next one's probably going to be a mix of essays and stories from the road that are illustrated, and some doodles by request. So it'll be, I think, a different, a different thing than the first fan doodles. That's awesome. I can't wait. To, we're all looking forward to that. I can tell you that much right now. Now, Jukebox has had songs featured on like Real Rob with Rob Schneider, which is pretty unreal. I saw a tweet about that. A couple like a month or two ago, like from Rob Schneider, it was pretty insane. Uh, yeah, that was, that was wild. Yeah, you had a you wrote a song for Sherman and Mister Peabody, which I think you can find on Netflix right now. You can, you can. And um, you, I don't remember which episode it is, but it's the song is called Black Hole. Um, I feel like it's the second episode, but I could be wrong about that. I think I mean, it's definitely on YouTube. So I mean, oh, yeah, it's definitely on YouTube. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the full episode is on Netflix. But, yeah, right. If you just want to hear the song, yeah. YouTube. And you have – I mean, that's really cool. You've had a bunch of uh, cameos and other things and a lot of things to be proud of over the years. I guess if I had to put you on the spot and say, of you know, whether it is an album, whether it is a an individual track, what is the the one thing you're the most proud of from Jukebox the Ghost? You know, if I'm being honest, it's pretty much always that answer in my heart of hearts is always going to be whatever we're working on now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think the new record is the best thing we've done, um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait for people to hear it. Yeah, you've you've had songs, you've played them live. Um, Keys in the car was, I believe, the first one that you you kind of debuted from, at least a new, maybe not off the new record, but a new project or new jukebox. Uh, you've done. I've seen Fred Astaire live. I've seen um, Stay the Night. I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. You've seen all that live. So you've played new tracks. What's that like? You know, getting that reception. You don't know what kind of reception you're going to get. You're going to have maybe a couple of folks that have heard it on YouTube before singing along, but not the full crowd. What's that experience like for you guys going in? Um, well, you know, interestingly, like when we started doing the, like keys in the car, for instance, um, part of the reason we played that on that tour and put it on the live record is because we didn't think it would probably, it would end up making the record, but we thought it was a fun song. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that song is not on the record. Um, and actually stay the night's kind of a one-off so that's not on the record either. Um, that's so exciting. I mean, what's, what's exciting about that is that hopefully people will be coming to the record totally fresh that's... Know, unless, um, there are a handful of people like you who saw us, you know, on the East coast in the last for Halloween, probably where we were doing Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The... Um, but other than that, I mean, ho- hopefully people are going to go into it. Not really, um, you know, and be surprised. Not it was not this past Halloween. It was Halloween of 2016. Well, first of all, can you just kind of talk about what Halloween is for the folks that wouldn't know? Oh yeah, okay. So Halloween is every Halloween we do a show um, where we do a set of our own stuff, take a break, get into costume, and then we come out and do a whole set of Queen dressed as Queen, which is the greatest thing on the planet. If you guys have an opportunity to go see this, you have to. It was the it was one of the most surreal moments because not only do you guys sound 
so much like Queen. You nail the look. Uh, thanks. So you were at? Were you at this year's? No, we we, we couldn't go this year. Uh, we had just gotten back from getting married, and the timing was just not there. Um, but we went last year and and uh, at the uh, World Cafe Live in Philadelphia. Nice. So that's where nice, we nice. and well, so I actually went to that show um, with my now wife, fiance at the time, and we had heard Fred Astaire for the first time that night, and she looked at me and said, "That's my new favorite jukebox song." I don't even know if it's close, and we couldn't get it out of our heads. So to hear you say that, you know, a song like Keys in the Car might not be on the record or Stay the Night's a one-off is really exciting for us fans because now we get to go into the new record not knowing a third of it already. Yeah, I mean, Fre- Fred Astaire is on the record. Okay, um, well, still, I've only heard it two or three times now, so yeah, can't wait to hear it yeah. even more. Don't have it on the old iPod, so really excited to look forward to that. Uh, the studio version of that too is going to be—it's going to be exciting. So, I mean, thank you first and foremost for the Halloween stuff. Because what I mean, what even made you want to do that? Um, it, it, it's funny. It was actually it was Jesse's idea um, <laughs> years ago when I think we were um, we were playing a friend's wedding, um, and we played. We learned they wanted us to learn somebody to love as their wedding band. Mm-hmm. And we learned it, and then, you know, just, you know, I don't think it had ever occurred to us that Queen would be an easy fit. Uh, Before that, most of our covers on tour were kind of like guilty 90s pleasures was kind of our our sort of shtick. Um, But we did the Queen thing, and we were like, well, we can actually do that correctly. I mean, Ben does a really good Freddie Mercury. Um, And so we started touring on Queen covers, and... Eventually, we had two or three that we were pretty good at, and Jesse was like, "Why don't we book a show as how as on Halloween as Halloween?" And the yeah, the first one uh, was in New York, and uh, we didn't at that point we only knew like three songs. But just a month month before the show, we just holed up and and started learning the catalog um, and put it together. Side note from Halloween: If you ever want to know what it's like to hear three guys singing. It feels like a woman. Uh, <laughs> please YouTube it because it is an experience that we did not expect, but we're glad we got. I think. Yeah, about hundred percent. You know what's funny about that cover? When we played that for headlining, like for our headlining audiences, people like people go nuts. I don't know why. I mean, because I don't think any. It's not like anybody's favorite song. You yeah. know what I mean? It was so overplayed when it came out. Um, that Shania Twain song, but. Uh, uh, but people people get really excited about it. We we tried it a couple times on an opening tour, and it did not go over well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people were sort of, sort of like, are they joking? I can't tell. You know, and, and you know, we are joking, but it's like a- after three and a half minutes, like people were like, is this ever going to end? Like, it, it was amazing the difference between playing that for a crowd that already likes us and a crowd that's not sure. Yeah. I think from a, from a fan's perspective, being in the crowd, I can think of two reasons why it pops so hard is number one. It's something that everybody, like you said, it's no one's favorite, but everybody knows it. And it's a break. Yeah. It's a breakup in the set list. It's something that we can all just have a good time. We all la- look at each other in the crowd. We're all laughing and just singing. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's one of those songs that I think anyone would be like, why are they doing this? Right. And you have, you definitely have the folks that go to your show for the boyfriend, for the girlfriend, and maybe don't, or for the friend and don't necessarily know you guys as much. And that's their chance too to say, okay, 
I know this song, and then they go home and tell somebody, and you've now made your name even through that. So, from right, yeah, we've always, we've always used our covers as a, as a hail mary pass, sort of. Um, you know, like at the end of the show, as as the way of being like, do you please, please, <laughs> li- please like us? We'll be out signing merchandise in the in the hallway. Please come say hi. Please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I have one of my tattoos is a jukebox, the ghost tattoo. It says "Say Now." I met you a couple years ago. You told me it should have said "Say When" because it's the rock song, but it is from "Don't <laughs> Let From Don't Let Me Fall Behind." That's a song that Ben sings. I mean, I would assume it's who write the lyrics, but you tell me. How do you guys determine who sings which song? Because you and Ben definitely split the lead singing duties. We'll call it. I'm using air quotes, but you guys definitely split that. In general, if you hear one of us singing, we probably wrote it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, things can get a little, um, you know, uh, when we're in the practice space, like everyone's kind of pitching, spitballing ideas and um, things are things are constantly changing. But, yeah, in general, if you hear one of us singing, it means we probably wrote it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, you know, sometimes like occasional songs have, have some group writing on them. Um, and... Uh, I'm, I, I, I guess this most recent record, I wrote a couple of songs for Ben to sing that I, I think we're probably going to eventually do as, as a singles or one-offs or something, but, um, didn't make the cut this round. Um, but so it's, so it's certainly something we've experimented with is like writing for the other person. Now you're also, but, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. But yeah, it's generally like, you know, it's like the Beatles or something, you know, if you, if you hear John Lennon singing, it's probably cause he wrote it. I love that Tommy Siegel, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it. Just compare Jukebox the Ghost to the Beatles. I love it. We're the we're we're like the crappy Beatles. <laughs> Isn't that? Oh, it's in the. Uh, remember the movie? It's in Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah, the sh- you know yeah. that the you know what Beatles? Yeah, definitely yeah, hilarious. Um, so outside of Jukebox the Ghost, you said it yourself earlier. You're in. You will now. You're awesomely a part of Jesse Dillon and the Scary Cats, but you were also in a project called Narc Twain. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So. Um... That's a that's a band I started with some buddies buddies in New York, um, and it is uh, sort of an outlet for anyone who knows Jukebox the Ghost's first couple couple of records knows that um, I have maybe an unhealthy fixation on sort of dystopia. Uh, you don't say in in my, in my lyrical. Hmm. You don't love the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I can't tell. I, I can't tell. You can't tell what that you love the apocalypse in every single way, shape, or form. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know why my lyrics just tend to turn towards doom and gloom a bit. It's you know, okay. hopefully d- dressed with enough sugar that it's like fun. But um, that's sort of been where my songwriting sort of veers. Uh, but more and more, it just wasn't making sense on jukebox stuff, and it sort of felt a little like um, shoehorning um a vibe into you know we i think we were just trying to have more of a unified front on our records um and but i was still writing that kind of stuff just because that's just sort of my natural zone uh so i started this band narc twain um and uh we put out our first ep a couple years ago and that whole thing was actually uh based off this poetry book I found in the garbage um, of my apartment building or the, the recycling bin. It was just kind of sticking out. And I was like, what's that? And picked it up and got totally obsessed with this weird little poetry book um, and wrote a bunch of songs based on it. Um, and that that's where that first album came from. And I had, the, I had the weird experience of recording that album and then 
the guy who wrote the poetry book, one of his poems had an email address in it. And I wonder, I thought like, I wonder if that's his email address. And so I emailed him from, from that address um, and sent him the record. And it was like, hey, I found your book and fell in love with it. And I don't know if you're, you know, on this email or if you really exist, but um, here's this record I made based on your, your poetry book. And we had a nice little dialogue uh, back and forth for a while. That's really inspirational, actually. I mean, part of my existentialism, existentialism, but if you make a left instead of a right, you might not find that book. And who knows? Yeah, totally. That's, totally. That's pretty cool. Uh, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm slowly chipping away at um, uh, a second NARC record. Um, hopefully, I mean, it'd be great if it came out later this year, but um, I, I, I'm not, it'll definitely be done later this year. Whether it'll be out later this year, I'm not sure, but... Um, excited to put out our first full length and it's pretty different from the first one. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it. It's a little more, uh, groovy and, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a more, it's just a more danceable version of, of, of what I was, what we were doing in the first album. We definitely suggest though that you go, if you kind of get updates on that through at Narc Twain Band on social media, it's N-A-R-C-T-W-A-I-N-B-A-N-D, Narc Twain Band, uh, catch up with Tommy on all of his works with Narc Twain. Now you also let me know that you may have a solo project coming in the works. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it, but, um, over the years, um, I, I've, I don't, do you know the Paul McCartney album Ram? Mm-hmm. So that was a really pivotal album for me. And I've always had the fantasy of making my, like a tribute album to Ram. Um, or just an album that pays some homage to that to that record. I just love the vibe on that album. Um, just that it's it's so dreamy and sweet and poppy, but also kind of trippy and a little weird. Uh, and so there's this whole branch of songwriting that I've been um, working on for really the last like five years, and uh, some of them are songs that we've thought about doing for jukebox records but they were a little too a little maybe not peppy enough and a little like uh dreamy and spacey for jukebox the ghost Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's uh so ben's plays some keys on the record and uh, jesse plays drums on it but um yeah it's like a it's a it's a solo record that it's my first my first project as album where i i I actually recorded and produced and engineered the whole thing so I'm excited to finally have something that's got my, um, you know, my name on it as the as the person behind the board too. Congratulations! Um, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm excited. I haven't figured out what to do with it yet, but it it, it exists. We'll follow Tommy along there. That's at Tommy Siegel, T-O-M-M-Y-S-I-E-G-E-L. I want to transition because we are a nerdy, like I said, podcast, music, movies, all that good stuff, TV. Um, just before I ask you real quick about TV or movies, do you have anything else you want to either fill the listeners in on, uh, talk about uh, with Jukebox or NARC or your own stuff that we haven't covered yet? Well, I mean, as far as Jukebox goes, I guess uh, should just uh – I mean, stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of, I mean, this is like the calm before the storm. Um, we've got a whole record coming out and definitely more songs than that um, that we've already recorded. 
so it's going to be a busy year. We've got uh, some tour plans that are going to be announced very soon. Um, and, yeah, uh, you know, all the sort of normal stuff that goes with the record. But um, we're really excited about it. And uh, we think that uh, we think especially if people um, haven't uh, been into the Halloween thing that they will be excited about the new record. It's sort of, um, it's very clearly to me anyway, um, a product of us immersing ourselves in queen and that giving us some confidence to sort of, it sounds stupid, but I think by being more like queen on our record, it's, it gave us more license to be more ourselves and not really worry about the sort of, larger pop landscape Hmm. um so i I think it's a really fun um it's it's very poppy but it has it has a lot of weird stuff on it that i think people are going to be excited about so um i I, i'm really proud of it and uh i can't wait for it to come out we've been sitting on it for way too long well again congratulations on that new record and obviously the accompanying tour myself sam my wife will bring our posse of folks to if you decide to come to philadelphia you know we'll be there we'll say hi um, but when it comes to movies and music, do you, are you aware that they're making a queen biopic right now? I heard, well, I, I heard, uh, last I heard it got, um, um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen dropped out of the project. Yes. He didn't like where it was heading, but mm-hmm. that, that's the last I heard. Has there been more since then? Yeah. So, uh, a lot, um, the director got fired. The, Whoa. yeah, uh, right over Thanksgiving break. Um, the dude from mm. Mr. Robot is now Freddie Mercury. I think Rami, something or other, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but uh, is Freddie Mercury, but it is still on track to come out, I believe, later this year. But I figured that would be something that you guys, as a band, would definitely want to be into. Um, Oh, yeah. But in terms of other films, I mean, what are some other films? Maybe, you know, listen, you said you wrote an entire record off of a a poetry book. Uh, Some people get inspiration from books, from literature, from, from TV, from movies, from maybe quotes they hear in that. What are some movies tv shows that you've kind of dabbled in and and, uh, enjoy nowadays um i have a problem that everyone i that i know that everyone i know uh makes fun of um which is that i i can for whatever reason i only watch tv shows set in space (laughs) um or vaguely set in space so uh, the problem is it, it it i'm entertained but it keeps me totally out of the larger cultural conversation um it's you know because when everyone else is talking about i mean i don't even know what everyone's talking about but um you know i'm sort of digging my way through star trek voyage or deep space nine or something um so yeah i kind of i my experience with tv has been exclusively like battlestar galactica firefly all the all the different Star Treks. What about Roswell? It's about aliens. It doesn't take place in space. Did you ever watch? I that haven't. Show? I haven't seen that one. Would you recommend it? I would recommend it if. Uh, I would recommend the first two seasons. Mm. I don't know. Oh, how- I did. I did watch Game of Thrones. There you go. Yeah, we we had mentioned that in the beginning uh, before we came on the air. You're a Game of Thrones guy. Did you know that? Yeah. The- well, hey, what'd you think of the last season, the most recent one? Ooh, uh, Sam's gonna hate me for this one because he thinks it was fantastic. I think it had really good set pieces, and as I'm watching it, I highly enjoyed it. However, uh, now that it's over and then we're not getting the next and final season until 2019, uh, I can't 
get past the jumps in logic that it makes this season. It just... I, I'm right there with you, man. I, I wanted to love it, because I love season six. Season six is um, one of my favorites. I'd say three and six are my two favorites. Yeah, I think I would agree with you there. Um, but yes, I don't know what the... I don't know what went wrong. I just... They... Uh, maybe it wasn't enough episodes, and they tried to cram too much in, but I, I kind of left... Each episode I would enjoy watching, and then I would sit around thinking about it and go like, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. we So we actually did a, uh, on the podcast, we had to take a two-month hiatus due to some, uh, you know, the wedding, and uh, some, we had some computer issues and some studio issues and stuff, um, but we did, right before we announced our hiatus or did our hiatus, we did a recap of every single Game of Thrones episode every single week. We did a recap of that week's Game of Thrones, wow. and, and it was it was heavy. We spent close to 45 minutes to an hour every week just talking Game of Thrones before we did our hour to hour and a half normal show. So we were wow. going we were going in depth every week about every episode um, and I he would you know say I love it and I would at that time say I love it and then by the time we got done the conversation and we relived the episode I would say you know now that I've said it ugh, I wish I loved it more. I want to love it. Like you said, I really wanted to love that season. And as it was happening, I did. At 10.01 on a Sunday, I'm like, hell yeah. But the next Saturday when we talk about it, it's like, okay, did Gendry really run that far that fast? Did the Raven, (laughs) you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it it actually kind of reminds me of, um, it reminds me of the experience of seeing uh, every new Star Wars movie in my like adult life, which has been like, I'm so excited. I'm there on opening night, and every single time I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> like, but, it, but it takes like a week for me to, 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 to start feeling weird about it. So what would like, you think you, of The Last Jedi? Wait, what's that? What would you think of The Last Jedi? I'm a defender, but the more... Um, I, I enjoyed it. Good. Um, but I think I partially enjoyed it because um, I, I watched The Force Awakens enough to start kind of disliking it. Nice. Um, or, or at least not, not disliking it, but st- starting to go like, wait a minute, J.J. Abrams has no idea where this go- this is going. They don't have a larger architecture. Like, this is just, they just made up some stuff and hoped that it would work. <laughs> um, so I watched The Force Awakens enough to, to think that, and then the new movie just confirmed it for me. So I, I wasn't as disappointed as I think a lot of people were. I, I actually, I think I liked it more than Force Awakens. I, um, I, would, I would say that if it didn't have the scene where Leia basically freezes and kind of supermans it, as Sam would say, back to the ship, I would be much happier with that. But that part completely lost me. Yeah, I I don't understand that. I mean, yeah, for me it was like it was that, and um, I'm sort of offended that they have no idea what to do with Finn two movies in. Wow. Um, I I guess I would recommend going back two weeks and listening to our spoiler cast. We did an entire spoiler cast ooh. episode on it, um, and we have our friend Sean, who is the biggest Star Wars fan I have ever met. Shout out to Sean. He knows who he is. Uh, he came on. He did. We did a 45-minute discussion on the film, and he points out – I mean, I would say Sam. I know Sam's biggest gripe was – or one of – was Finn in general. They did nothing with him, and I agree. Sean – 
did us the favor of going through every single time in the entire film how many times the force was used, when it was used, and what nature it was used, what characters it affected, what it didn't, and 12 major plot points of the film that were both positive and negative. So if you have any interest in that, go back and check Ooh, it out. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. both Tommy and the listeners. So if you have any interest in that, go check it out. But yes, I would say Finn was a wasted opportunity. And if I and if I had to say, um, I guess one more thing about it and everybody everybody has heard my opinion exists so i guess this is more for me to you is i i actually kind of like and appreciate what ryan johnson did to almost evaporate what jj abrams did he jj abrams introduced so many totally yeah he introduced so many things in episode seven that ryan johnson said nope i'm just gonna delete them from history like they almost never happened and i actually appreciate that that a filmmaker had that gumption Totally, and I think I think um, part of whether you like the Last Jedi or Force Awakens more depends on picking a side. Because if you decide that you love the Force Awakens and everything about it, then I can see why the Last Jedi would be like bordering on offensive to you because it sort of <laughs> takes all the mystery boxes and just like smashes them. Yeah. But uh, I sort of I just had come to the conclusion already that there was nothing in the boxes because I mean. I mean, for God's sake, this is the guy who made Lost. Yep. Um, so I, when it, I was excited to see a movie where they smashed the mystery boxes. But I know that for a lot of people that makes for um, a confusing larger trilogy, which I would agree. And uh, even though I enjoy the new Star Wars movies, I think it's totally insane that um, Disney didn't get anybody to make a larger arc of what the three movies were going to what the story was going to be i mean I, that is crazy um and so yeah the, the, the movies are you know in themselves enjoyable but i mean my god they're just like passing the baton and winging it and uh that is definitely not what the original trilogy feels like to me so uh it's it's pretty funny you could watch i'll end it this way you can watch the original trilogy back to back to back and feel like it's one movie if you watch this new trilogy when nine comes out i'm sure it's gonna have the same vibe i bet you it feels like three different movies or it might just or it might feel like a tv show that's constantly like lurching around to surprise you you know what i mean it'll feel like watching season seven of game of thrones Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tommy, for taking time today to have this conversation. Uh, it did get really nerdy there at the end, but I'll tell you how much I appreciated that. Um, so, I mean, the midichlorians in my bloodstream are just like off the charts. Right we now. and we had to reference the prequels. Very there, that went. Of course, we have to bring up the prequels. We can never not bring up the prequels. But yeah, <laughs> our midichlorian count. Yeah, but Tommy, this was fantastic. Thank you all, everybody. Again, Tommy Siegel from Jukebox the Ghost and Narc Twain. Check him out on social media at Tommy Siegel at Jukebox the Ghost at Narc Twain Band. Uh, check him out uh, on Twitter, Instagram. Follow his doodles. Pick up his book on Amazon and all that. Tommy, hang on the line. But again, thank you so much uh, for doing this show with us today. Hey, thanks again for having me. And we'll see you guys for episode 73 this weekend. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.